Welcome back to America's Talking. Today, I am so excited to be joined by Kate Bryan. Kate is the founder and CEO of One Girl Revolution, which is a social platform and podcast that highlights the stories of everyday women changing the world through their lives. One Girl Revolution also produced an amazing documentary, Emmy-nominated, you can watch it on YouTube, called A Girl Inside, which is an inspiring look at the stories of incarcerated women in Cook County Jail, and I'm sure we'll talk about that today. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on the show. So if you don't mind uh, talking a bit about the inspiration for One Girl Revolution, I think there are many nonprofits and, uh, you know, websites, media companies centered around empowering women, especially in the United States, but also around the world. I'm curious, as you grew up seeing all of that, what did you think was sort of lacking in that space and sort of how does One Girl Revolution fit into it? Yeah. So my background is in PR and media. So for the past 15 years, I've worked in the media and dealt with so many different organizations and so many reporters. And I have so much respect for um, a lot of the members of the media. And I think a lot of times we hear stories about media bias or, you know, how things are being presented. And I think that a lot of that is true and real and happening in the world. But on the flip side, you know, these different shows, they have 30 seconds to tell a story sometimes. And so I was seeing that in my work. Um, I lived in Washington, D.C. for numerous years. I lived in Ireland, Dublin, Ireland for a couple of years working in media um, and then moved back to Michigan, moved back to Detroit. And so I'd seen so many examples of women's stories not being told or being told in a very divisive political way. And so I just started thinking about it three years ago. I started thinking about it and debating about how could you actually create a platform that would tell these authentic stories and not even that I would tell the stories, but a space that women could tell their authentic stories. And so I started just like collecting different stories that inspired me, women and girls across the country. I focus on American women because a lot of times we hear about women internationally, which is amazing women internationally doing great things, but we don't often hear about our neighbors. And so I really wanted to focus on American women, people in our own communities. Maybe they've started an organization, but maybe not. Maybe they just are doing, you know, these little kids that start a lemonade stand to help someone out in the community. Or during COVID, we heard so many stories. I saw so many stories of stay-at-home moms that were just making a little extra meal um, to deliver to an elderly person during that time. And so it started, One Girl Revolution started as a podcast because I felt like that was an easy way. Um, you know that it's not easy to have a podcast. And so I've learned that it actually is a lot of work, but it was kind of the easiest way that I could start the podcast and start the platform um, or start it as a podcast. And so I started by just doing 10 episodes. I thought if I could just interview 10 women and girls that inspired me, maybe that would just kind of leave an imprint on the world. And it's just continued to grow from there. So we have 137 episodes to date. And then it's grown into the documentaries, as you as you mentioned, and we have a second one that we're working on now. And so I'm just excited to see where it goes from here. So when I think about the quiet dignity of American women, I often think about Pam Harris, amazing mom from northern Illinois, who we profiled. She was an at home caregiver for her son, Josh, who suffered from a variety of really serious illnesses. She got a stipend from the state to care for him. And one day she got a knock at her door and it was someone from a state union that was trying to forcibly unionize her to take dues out of that 
paycheck and they tried to define her as a state employee. She didn't think that was right. And she took that story all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and won. And she started as someone who was very hesitant about sharing her story, very shy, um, didn't want to express her needs, and then became a mama bear force of nature in front of the Supreme Court. And it was a really amazing transformation to see. And I see in so much of your work, just giving women the permission to tell those inspiring stories can be really helpful and therapeutic for themselves. So I'm wondering if, is that a, too broad of a generalization to say that women in America are kind of hesitant to take on that role or champion themselves about the amazing things they're doing in their community? Is it a variety? What have you found? I've found that women in particular, there's a humility that women have. And a lot of times they don't want to tell their story. There's like, I'm just doing this because it's the right thing to do. Right. That right. That's like the line that I feel like every single woman that I've had on the podcast or, you know, when I've interviewed them, I have this second documentary coming out. That's a line in the documentary where the woman says, like, I'm just doing this because it's what I'm supposed to do. It's, it's what's right. And so I think that a lot of times women are just keeping their head down and powering through and they might have an idea or something, a situation that they're put in where they never wanted to be, have the spotlight. They never wanted to do interviews. And I've found this, this space with one girl. I want to create that space for women to tell their authentic stories. I don't want to be the person to tell their story, but because I have this PR and media background, I'm able to help them curate their story and tell their story and, you know, ask specific questions that will help lead and guide their story. And it's gr obviously great. Um, uh, it's great practice for them, whatever they end up going to do, if they end up, you know, going to the Supreme Court, or if they, you know, end up doing an interview, I've had a lot of women that, that they've told their story for the first time ever on One Girl Revolution, on the podcast, or in a video that we've done. And then now they're on um, one of the women that we had on uh, a couple years ago. Now she's on, she's been on Kelly Clarkson's show. She was on the Today mm -hmm. Show. All these other people are now covering her. And I feel like a proud mom sitting there because it's like, not that I did anything, but I just am so honored and, you know, adore this woman. I adore all the women that I've had on the podcast and, and they, I've learned so much from them. And so I think just to your point, uh, there is just a humility where women are just kind of keeping their head down and powering through. And I think that women also underestimate the power of their stories too. Like mm -hmm. when we, when women tell their stories, it, there's something that kind of opens up. We know that, you know, women are stronger together. We hear that all the time on social media and, you know, there's mm -hmm. like, different memes like that women are stronger together. It's so true. Women supporting women, it just is a powerhouse. And I love the stories that I, you know, interview somebody about a particular story, and then I'm able to connect them with someone else that I had on the podcast, or they connect me. And so really through one girl, we've created this, this army of women that are just so authentic and positive too. I think so much in the world especially with regards to women is politicized and divisive. And it's all this like us versus them narrative. And so what How I have you avoided that, by the way, so like you have all of these women on clearly, like, especially in the activism space or advocacy, that's always going to be somewhat politicized. How do you keep, especially like from your brand perspective, how do you keep, how do you actually create a unifying positive supportive community in an age where that it seems impossible? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I'm not really sure of the answer to, to be totally honest. But 
I think it stems from my own experience living and working in Washington, D.C. I just mm -hmm. saw so clearly. And when I finally left, I felt like I had been through a war um, over the, you know, I'd lived there for six years and just seeing mm -hmm. all, like, we weren't making any progress on a lot of things, you know, because mm -hmm. it was just, everything was so divisive and working in PR, it's like, who can get their statement out first, right? And like, whose statement will be stronger. And um, it's all this like, kind of like winning mentality. And I wanted to create this space where um, people could just tell their authentic stories. And we would focus on commonality and focus on where women come together. And so, um, you know, it's a daily struggle. It's like a daily decision. I have to be really thoughtful about how we tell stories, the stories that we have on. Um, the topics that we cover. Um, but so far, we've been able to really create this space where, where women can come together, which is which is powerful. And it keeps me going too when I see it. So one thing when I think about political divisiveness is tied to almost like you were talking about memes earlier of women supporting women. Another meme in sort of the activism or advocacy space or people making a difference is this idea of think globally, act locally. But oftentimes people who are acting locally get influenced by people who are trying to nationalize or politicize their whole like their whole existence, everything they do, whether it's their school board or their local government, like it becomes part of a national or global political narrative. And that seems really divisive. What what have you learned sort of about that of the people you've talked to who are most effective? Are they actually thinking globally or are they really kind of just thinking of their local community and what their neighbors need? I think it's both. And it kind of depends on the story. A lot of the stories that I cover are very local, like very localized where, you know, there's a little girl here in Michigan that makes coloring books for children in hospitals in Michigan. Um, she hasn't really branched out. She's well, now she's seven, but when I interviewed her, she was five. And so she's thinking very, very locally. Um, and then a lot of the women, too, they're in the state of Texas or they're in the state of California and they're more local because I think we need to there needs to be more of an emphasis on us taking care of our neighbors. I mentioned COVID earlier, and one of my favorite things was seeing people just looking out for the people that were next door to them, people in their very, very local communities. And I think that the world would look so much different. If we really focused on that, a lot of times in, in the media and especially with social media, we're so connected, we're more connected than ever, but it becomes a distraction where we're thinking about it's, it's important to know what's going on around the world. I believe that it's important to be thinking about things that are going on around the world, but then we end up losing sight of the people that are right around us. And I think about like mm. mental health issues and suicide. It was so tragic um, seeing that beautiful woman in New York city, um, Mm -hmm. uh, successful, I think Miss USA or whatever, and seeing like her struggles with mental health and not that anybody could have changed. Um, she ended up committing suicide, unfortunately, but you know, not that anybody could change that, but I think about those situations, you know, what can we be doing? What can, can we be looking out for signs in our own communities? And so I think it's important to do that. But then on the flip side, I do have so many women that work locally, but then they also are very focused on things that are going on internationally. And one of the women that comes to mind is Naja Bazi, who is here in Detroit. She runs an organization called Zaman International, and they are focused on helping and supporting marginalized women and children. And she has this amazing story. People can go to One Girl's website and check it out. 
Um, she is, I've had her on the podcast. I've done a lot of things with her organization because I really believe in what they're doing. And really they have job skills training for women um, and their children and um, support systems for them if they need housing, if they need, they have a whole like um, marketplace where women can get clothes for their kids or furniture or whatever they need. And they're serving a lot of refugees and you know women who are struggling single women who don't have a family support system here in Michigan but then on the flip side she really does she's so focused on also what's going on internationally are there situations where there are marginalized women and children that they can be serving and so i love those stories equally and i think that they both have so much power um, but yeah, I think that the, the politicization and the divisiveness is such a distraction. And through my own work, it's like it's instilled that within me even more than ever, uh, especially leaving D.C. The real change is happening with people. So you were talking about that young girl in uh, in Michigan creating those coloring books. One thing that's obviously been in the media increasingly over the last, I would say, five years, maybe 10 years. Um, Jonathan Haidt has done a lot of work on this, but the effect of social media, particularly on young women and self-image. I'm curious what sort of, is that a serious problem? Some people say, well, this is this has always been a problem, right? There's going back to magazines or depictions in TV, right? It's just social media has made it uh, uh, maybe more accessible or there's more volume or you know, maybe there's some special difference about social media that makes it worse. Do you see that as a really big threat to the success of, of young women? And how, what should we look to for solutions to that problem? Mm, I think that it can be, social media is both, to me, is both a good and it can also be a bad. It can be very negative. And the consequences, particularly with women, can be really negative, especially when you have the self-image issues. And then it, as much as it can be a connector, and I have definitely, I've been, I'm so grateful for social media because I've been able to connect with so many women. So many of the interviews that I've done have been because I saw somebody's story or heard about them through social media and was able to reach out to them, even, you know, quote unquote, celebrities, people that are in that, in that world, um, who otherwise would have been unattainable or we wouldn't have been able to connect with them. Um, so I think it can be really positive, but it can be so negative when you talk about self-image issues. And it's not just women, it's everybody. I think that there are right. so many people that are going through that. Then you're thinking about mental health um, and how isolating it can feel, um, especially when you're looking at social media. I cannot imagine being a teenager in this day and age and having social media because I feel like as an adult, I struggle with it enough where you see all of your girlfriends hanging out and you weren't invited like, mm -hmm. and maybe they just forgot, like maybe they, or, mm -hmm. or they thought you were busy. I mean, there's so many different reasons, but we don't get those reasons on social media. And so it ends up eating away at you. And that's why I think that suicide rates, especially over the past couple of years have been sky high addiction, right? Like people are looking for other things to feed, um, to feed their self image and like, I mean, heal these wounds. We're such a mm -hmm. broken society and we're such broken people at times. But um, yeah, I think that it, I think that we need to do a better job of creating boundaries and I need to do a better job of that, too. So I, I'm the first one to say that, like creating boundaries when it comes to social media. It's so great to be there and be able to connect with people, stay in touch with people that you don't live by. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be a huge connector for success. You know, when you're talking about um, business or, you know, so many entrepreneurs are 
forming these amazing communities, but know yourself and know your limits. And I know people that have shut down social media for a month or two months or a year just mm -hmm. to give themselves a little break. And um, yeah, I think that it can be both both positive and negative, but we need to look out after one another and look out after ourselves too. When you're feeling low, whether due to social media or not, can you tell me about a couple of the stories that you, or a couple of the women that you've profiled that you think, I, I think about storytelling in my own life and it serves not only as an inspiration in the moment and you're leaving the interview and you're like, God, the world's amazing. That, how could even people like this exist? This is amazing. Like I, it can feed you for a couple of weeks, but then years later, you're thinking about like, oh, I had a bad day. Oh, I saw a picture on Instagram of my friends and I wasn't there. And then you think of, oh man, there's a, there was a person who had it so much worse, who did so much more with so much less. Um, and that helps me. I'm wondering if there are stories that stick out in your mind, people you've profiled that you go yeah. through. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many of them. I'm really, honestly, like one girl has been such a gift for me, you know, different times where I'm feeling. And even when you can like look at the world and feel hopeless, I think there are times when we're like, everything is so dark and mm -hmm. difficult and everything's bad when you turn on the news and even social media can be like very negative. And so a lot of times I'll just like look through one girl's website or go through our YouTube page and watch some of these women that I've interviewed um, on video or uh, through the podcast, listen to their their voices and listen to their stories. Um, a couple of women that come to mind are one, Najab Ozzy, who I mentioned before. She runs Zaman International. She's this amazing woman. She was a nurse. To tell you quick, her story very quickly, very briefly, um, she was a nurse and she was serving a lot of families that were refugee families or families that didn't have a lot of money. And she would make um, home visits. And she randomly in 1996 found out about this family that had just had twins and the twins were both terminally, terminally ill. Um, so they were dying at home. So she just went to go make sure that the family had everything that they needed, that the babies were taken care of and comfortable um, in their final hours or their final days. And she gets there to their um, apartment and they have no furniture. It's a refugee mm. family, right? So they don't have anything. They're in this apartment. And then she looks at the little babies and the babies are in a la plastic laundry basket with towels that had obviously just been bought from the store because um, they still had the tags on it. And the babies are laying in this plastic basket with towels and the tags still on it. And Naja, that's how Zaman International started from this very moment. She looked at those babies and she was like, they deserve dignity. Like they deserve to die with dignity. They deserve to be in a little bed and a cozy little blanket if they're going to die, these, this is their final moments on, on earth. What can I do? And she didn't have any money. You know, she's like a nurse mm -hmm. on call, you know, she's working and she called everybody that she knew and found furniture for the family. She found a crib for the babies, had a friend that had just had a baby that had all these like freshly washed blankets. And within a couple of hours, she had totally furnished their apartment People delivered food, all this stuff. And then that was the start of Zuman International. So like, that's one that I just think about, like she had nothing and she just, a situation was presented, put right before her and she like jumped at that opportunity. Um, another one is Miss Willa, who is a woman who owns a catering company in uh, Athens, Texas. Very poor community. She, she runs it out of Dallas, but um, she serves the community of Athens, Texas and she drives her food truck around Athens, Texas during um, school breaks and summer breaks and times when kids usually when they're in school, 
they're getting meals at school, they're getting fed at school. And she started realizing that there were hundreds of kids in this community that weren't being fed. So she um, uses her catering company and um, she has a nonprofit called Feeding Kids Right to raise money. And then during different school breaks, she'll drive around in her food truck and deliver hundreds of meals to kids every single day. And um, Miss Will is so amazing. I actually flew down to Texas to get to spend some time with her and go from house to house to deliver meals. Because that's one thing that I like to do with one girl, too. Um, which hopefully I'll have more opportunities now that things are starting to open back up. But COVID definitely put a stop to it to go and actually walk with these women and experience what they're experiencing. Mm, that's really powerful. Those, yeah, and you'll remember those women your whole life. That's the other thing that I feel like is amazing is you if you have that relationship. And I, I we talk to a lot of organizations that want to do storytelling, and they're like, eh, it takes too much time," or like, "I've never done this before." And my sales pitch to them is usually don't do it for any other reason than to create relationships that will benefit you. Just do it for selfish reasons. Like it's, mm -hmm. it, it could inspire you and improve your life to have relationships with people who are inspiring. Um, yeah. They know they see news constantly pointing out problems in the world. The end of news stories very rarely has like, and go to this link to, to figure out how you can help. It's just constant negativity. What advice would you give for people who literally have no idea where to start about helping their community? What should they do? Yeah, I think that for me and thinking back, I was remembering uh, the past two years as you were speaking there, but just remembering when COVID hit and I was sitting like everyone else, the whole world shuts down and you're sitting there and you're like, you feel helpless. You're like, what should I be doing right now? Should I, I don't even know. Like, I didn't even know where to start. And I remember thinking with regards to one girl revolution, I had all these big hopes and dreams for it. All these plans for 2020. I actually still have a poster board that I keep on my wall just for kicks and giggles. Um, but it was all my plans for 2020. And I remember sitting there in March and being like, all right, well, I can't travel to all these places. I can't do all these things that I had big dreams for what do I do? And I remember sitting in my bedroom and thinking, okay, what is, what is my role? What is one girl revolution's role in this? What can we do? And so that's how it started. I was like, here are 15 ways that you can make a difference during COVID. And then I started looking for different stories of women that were making a, an impact during COVID, you know, whether it was healthcare workers that were just, you know, quote unquote, just doing their jobs, but they were going above and beyond. Um, I just remember thinking about like in that moment, thinking about like, what can I do? And then also like, who am I? I think all of us are kind of like, well, what can I actually do? Right? Like I don't have the money. Right. I don't like have time. I don't have. And the reality is there are so many little things. And so I would challenge people to look at their own lives and like, what are things that you like to do? Social media, as much as I, you know, see the negative side of it. Um, I also see the positive side. That's one way. It's a free way. It costs you nothing to support an organization. If you there's an organization that you like, follow them on social media share their stuff, encourage your friends and family to support them. Um, and that's one way also like get involved. If there's something, if you're, you're just like interested in a particular issue, right? Like if you're, I don't know, you've read a couple of articles about human trafficking and that's the issue that really moves you Google human trafficking in your area and find a shelter, find an organization, find something that you can get involved in. And then it comes down to like, sometimes the smallest things that we do can make such a huge impact. And so maybe that organization might say, hey, 
Next time you're at the grocery store, if you could pick up um, bath and body goods for all the women that are living in the house right now, or maybe you're a makeup artist, like could you donate a couple of your out, a couple of hours a month to go and do makeup for these women that have been through hell and back? Um, there are so many different things that we can do. And sometimes it goes back to like, what is your gift and talent? Like if you're a good writer, mm-hmm. is there something mm-hmm. you can do? It, or if you're um, a good communicator, if you're good at making phone calls, you love talking to people on the phone. I have friends that are that way. Call random people or call an organization and say, hey, are there people that I can check in for you? Check in with them and just make sure that they're doing okay. Um, mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be the big things. You don't have to start an organization or you know, get some really meaningful jobs. Sometimes it's the little things that can make such a huge impact. Doing something you like and that leverages your skills is such good advice. And I feel like people don't use, I think the first thing people think of is, well, I don't know what thing to do to start. Like I can't prioritize out of all the things in my community. I don't even know what would be useful to do. And then there's all these noble obstacles of like, well, I don't know which you know, that might be a waste of time if I do this, so I won't do it. But if you just start with something you like and say, how can I share this talent or do this thing more with people? That's much more practical. I love that advice. Um, yeah. And it starts with one yeah. thing, right, Austin? Like it doesn't, yeah. I think sometimes we, I definitely get overwhelmed because there's so much going on and there's so much that I already have on my plate. And I think that's most people, but just make a commitment to do one thing, one thing. And start there. And then you can see where that goes. It might lead to something else. You might decide that you don't want to do it or you don't like it or you don't have the time or bandwidth for it. But just pick one thing. I wanted to, before we wrap up our conversation, talk about A Girl Inside, which is a documentary that uh, One Girl Revolution produced. And everyone should watch it. It's on YouTube. It's really inspiring. Uh, Very short synopsis. Uh, Dr. Laura Biagi, is that how you pronounce her last name? Biagi, yeah. Biagi uh, basically runs sort of a workshop for incarcerated women, and she returns to Cook County Jail uh, with some of her students, and the documentary follows what that experience is like. Uh, One of the themes of that documentary, people should watch it for themselves, is sort of how storytelling can be a healing art. And I'm curious, one... What does that mean? And two, any other sort of takeaways from from producing that and that experience and meeting uh, Dr. Biagi? Yeah. So um, Dr. Biagi's mindset, which I've just come to absolutely adore, is how can you move beyond something that's happened to you or something that you've done or something that you've been through if you don't know how to talk about it, right? If you don't know how to tell your story, if you don't know know how to tell someone, there's like, it's so therapeutic, right? That's what anybody who's been to therapy knows that if you're Catholic and you've been to confession, like there's so many different instances, or even like maybe you just have a friend that you've been able to share something really difficult that you've been through or an experience that you had. There's so much power and we don't talk about that enough. And I know myself, like I didn't really... I guess I had never really thought about it in those terms. But then when I got connected with Dr. Biagi and she started telling me about this class and it was actually an academic class that she taught in Cook County Jail, not just to women, but we focused on um, a class of women that she had. And uh, she taught this class. They got college credit, which was so cool. And but the world that it opened up for them, I mean, it just opened their world to see the purpose and power and um you know, the humanity of themselves. Again, I think a lot of times in life, we can kind of lose sight of who we are and who we were created to be. And so Dr. Biagi's class really reminded 
um, these individuals of the purpose that they they have in the world and that they matter and that they're as unique as their fingerprints and that there is an imprint that only they can leave on this world. And we made a distinct decision not to talk about um, the reasons they were in Cook County Jail, but rather who they are as individuals. And so it took me almost a year to get clearance to like take a film crew into Cook County Jail. And there were so many times when I thought that it wasn't going to happen. And I just kept putting one foot in front of the other and making more phone calls and trying to get it to happen. And then it finally happened. And I think for me, that day was absolutely life changing. And anybody who watches the documentary, I think, can can get a pretty good insight into most of what that day um, what, what it encapsulated. We really tried to, to encapsulate that day um, into the documentary, but I just remember sitting in the circle with these women and it kind of starts out, one of the first prompts that we asked them was, what was your first memory of play? And the reason that we asked that is like, all of us have a first memory of play, right? Every single person, no matter who you are, there's a commonality factor. And just back to what we, we were talking about with regards to one girl revolution, let's focus on our commonality. There are so many different things. I could have sat there and judged these women and they could have judged me for our zip codes and our background and what we did. I didn't want to know what any of these women had done. And I did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. I um, wanted to just get to know them as human beings. And so um, we spent the right, day The with first them. question could it be, what's your, what's your greatest trauma? And then some right? people are like, oh, well, yeah, I, you know, a kid made fun of me at school. Mm -hmm. And then there's a woman who's incarcerated saying like, I don't, my, my husband abused me or right. my child died. And yeah. Because, that's a totally different question than, oh, what's the time that, what's your first memory of play? That's really and a positive thing, right? Like a lot mm -hmm. of times in the world, we find, we try to find commonality on like the negative side, but this mm -hmm. was the positive. It was like, we're and really, that's what, a lot of really difficult things came up and you hear some of it um, in the documentary too. some of the things that these women shared and the traumas that they had been through, but like, let's start on the positive side. And even some of those were, were sad too, you know, just them talking about like one of the women talking about, we were so poor, we couldn't afford the O and the R. So we were poor. And, um, <laughs> just talking about how they would make mud pies cause they couldn't afford any toys or things like that. And so, um, anyways, it was a life-changing experience. I still can't believe that we that we actually got into Cook County Jail. What's crazy about it is we filmed um, two two months before COVID hit. Which, looking back, we never could have done that documentary nowadays. Um, just with all of the COVID restrictions and you know mask mandate, all the different things that are going on in jails and prisons. So um, yeah, it's a very special piece. It's incredible that we got nominated for an Emmy Award. Um, and then we have a second documentary of people, people definitely should check out the girl inside and subscribe to our YouTube channel. So you'll be the first to know, but we have a second documentary that we're working on now. That's a totally different story. Um, a woman in Milwaukee who is doing incredible things through her restaurant. Um, and so people can check that out. Amazing. Very soon. We, we will end it with, that's a very pro plug move. <laughs> Everybody who's starting their own podcast, observe how Kate seamlessly in our conversation, subscribe to their YouTube. Totally agree. One Girl Revolution's podcast will also soon be available on America's Talking Network. So be sure to check that out as soon as it's live. But yeah, go to their YouTube, watch all their stuff, go to their website. Kate, thank you for all the awesome work you do. And thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful for this time.